cards. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together as family. Thank you for putting this family together, Father. Thank you for allowing us to relax together, to fellowship in your son's good name, to break bread together, to dine together. Father, thank you for all these blessings. May we never become familiar with them. But for as long as it's called today, let us encourage each other by gathering together this way. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that can't be here this evening for a variety of reasons. Uh, your will be done, of course, but we pray that you deliver them back to us. We pray also for those that are still lost in this world, that they might be humbled, repent, and receive saving faith before it's too late. Father, we're most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to make an evening like this even a reality to rejoice in. <clears throat> We just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, part 21 of the Lord is our confidence. As I was listening to Tuesday's message, this thought occurred to me up here on the board. Passive learning and lazy thinkers. A person who doesn't see the need to be challenged by the truth, frankly is a person who thinks they already know everything. Just think about that this weekend. A person who says, I don't need to be challenged, or I don't want to be challenged, is a person that somewhere in their soul believes they already know everything. Because there's nothing, there's no reason for them to be challenged. You understand? To take that viewpoint, you must know better. You must know all. Think about that. A person who doesn't See the need to be challenged by the truth as a person who thinks they already know everything. Uh, go to Romans 12.3. So I've got Romans 12.3 listed, 1 Corinthians 3.18, and Galatians 6.3. Just as reference points, uh, that's a very dangerous ground to trod to think you already know everything. It's like the person who um, flunks authority orientation, Right? Uh, I agree with you, I'll follow you when I agree with you, but I won't when I don't. Well, the presumption there is what? That you know everything. Right? You know everything. Because you're able to discern where that line is in the sand. Right? Is that, is that too, too much too soon? You guys are like, it's Thursday evening, slow down. <laughs> Romans 12.3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. That's really good counsel. Not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Of course, the focus there is, uh, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. How about 1 Corinthians 3, 18? 1 Corinthians 3, verse 18. So this is just what the Bible has to say about this type of individual, this person who feels they don't need to be challenged. And the truth is, if you feel that way, you think you know everything already. Well, that's very dangerous ground. 1 Corinthians 3, 18. 1 Corinthians 3.18, let no man deceive himself. We just came off a 75-part series on the deceitfulness of sin. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. In other words, you have to dip low. You have to become humbled. You'll see that in this week's blog. He exalts those who are humbled. First, you have to go low before you can come back. You have to lose self and any worth you have in yourself to actually be exalted by God. Again, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. And then finally, go to Galatians 6, verse 3. Galatians 6, verse 3. Notice the deceit in uh, Paul's writings here. Anyone who thinks highly of themselves, anybody who's puffed up or arrogant, is deceived. 
The language is very uh, clear. Galatians 6.3, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Any questions, I guess? This is on the coattails of passive learning and lazy thinkers. A person who doesn't see the need to be challenged by the truth is a person who thinks they already know everything. And what's the Bible say about that? Danger. Caution. Big red flag. Because um, none of us know everything. God's the only one that knows everything. Uh, which is why we just have to um, accept that in humility so that he can exalt us in the right time and in the right way. Uh, let me ask you a personal question, and this is just for the sake of illustration, and it, at some point maybe he'll uh, lay off of me a little bit because it always seems to put me in the crosshairs, but whatever. Do you trust me when I tell you that you don't know everything? <laughs> I mean, you should. You should be like, I don't know. You know, people get all fronted. How dare you? Do you trust me? Personally, do you? You should. What if I tell you to your face, stop talking, sit back, and listen? What if, what if I say to your face, you talk too much? <laughs> you don't know everything. You talk too much. So just sit back and listen for a change. What if I said that to you? Some of you are like, oh, man, that's it. Go to, go to James 1.19. James 1.19. It sounds like a silly thing to say, but, hey, listen, I've had to say it. People don't like it. James 1.19. See, that's the, that's the thing about, about uh, authority, right? To judge authority is to assume you know better. And you don't know everything authority knows. You don't have all the details. You don't have all the data. You see what I'm saying? So what does the Bible say? Submit to the authority. And let God deal with it. That person doesn't report to you. They report to God. You report to that person. That's the way it works. You don't get to um, tear down authority because you disagree with it and pick and choose when you want to submit. You get what I'm getting at? So, all right, look at, look at James 1.19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be what? Quick to hear. That's un-American. Almost. It's un-American. Everybody wants to be heard. Everybody wants to have a voice. Everybody's taught nowadays to challenge authority. At every corner, challenge it. That's your job, to challenge authority. But the Bible says... Listen, if you think you know everything, you are deceived. What does the Bible say? Everyone must be quick to hear. That means close your mouth, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Will you be offended and maybe even hold a grudge if I tell you to shut your mouth long enough to learn something? Will you be offended? Some of you? Absolutely. How do I know? Experience. Will you be offended if I tell you to shut your mouth long enough so you can actually hear what's actually going on? The question is, do you trust me or not? If you recoil, you're telling me you don't trust me. That same pattern happens with the Word of God. If you recoil, what you're saying to God is you don't trust Him. Who ordained authority in your life? God did. Do you trust me or not? If you don't trust me, do you trust God's judgment? Do you trust the word of truth? That is the very language of God in your life. I love what Scott said, and I've got it quoted here. On Tuesday evening, he said, I love God because he can be trusted. Love it. It's awesome. I love God because he can be trusted. It's not the only reason, but it certainly is a good reason. It's one of the many reasons we love God. It's because we can trust him. And we trust his judgment 
more than we trust our own. And for example, every authority in your life was put there by who? Do you trust his judgment or not? That's what it comes down to. Not whether or not you think you know everything like some of you do. Not like, not, it doesn't, <laughs> you don't know everything. I don't either. But that's the way the, the delegated authority chain of command works. Since we, none of us know everything except God, we all order because we trust his judgment in that order of things. So I like what Scott said. It's very simple and straightforward. I love God because he can be trusted. It is a wonderful statement spoken from a man. I hope you don't mind me saying this, Scott, but if you were up here, you'd probably be laughing and carrying on. Spoken from a man whom I personally had to say, stop talking and start listening. How many times? Scott's like, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm convinced that because he loves the Lord, he remains authority-oriented and ultimately grateful for what I have to say to him. However, here's the point the Spirit's been building up to. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. This came out on Tuesday as well, and I really enjoyed it. We don't love God because we're good. It's because we truly believe that he's good. We, we, you know, there's nothing special about us because we're able to love God. I'm going to say, look at me, I love God. Ain't I, ain't I swell? But do you? He loved us first. We love him uh, because we truly believe that he's good. Think about that. And we can't just say, like some do, we can't just say we love him. For words must have meaning up here on the board. Say what you mean, mean what you say. For words to have meaning, they must be true. For words to have meaning, they must be true. Vapid words of love mean absolutely nothing. If you say you trust God, then trust Him. Otherwise, you will suffer the throes of doubt. Again, say what you mean, mean what you say. For words that have meaning, they must be true. Vapid words of love mean absolutely nothing. I love you, I trust you, Lord, but as soon as that word comes out of your mouth, but you've already started to degrade. That but is a function of your human flesh, the arrogance percolating up. You don't know everything, you see? There's no but. You don't know everything. So what's your choice then? To orient, to trust God's judgment. If you say you trust God, then trust Him. Otherwise, you will suffer the throes of doubt. And that is just rampant in America today because if God puts all authority in, in uh, place uh, and you lose trust, then you just have doubts about everyone. And I don't know about you, but I like having confidence, you know, the Lord is our confidence, in my Lord's judgment. I like that he said, listen, this is the best I've got for you. Stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to uh, pretend you know everything. Stop doing all of that because you're hurting yourself. You're the one who's suffering. You're proving to me that you don't trust me. I can even use evil for good. How about that? But I don't even want you to think about that because then you start going, well, that was evil, and that was good, and that was good. Oh, I, you know, I, guess, I guess they're okay. Remember this pair of verses from a few months ago? The sphere of love and obedience. John 14, 15 said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then remember the flip? John 15, 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Remember that? They were intrinsic to each other. Love and obedience are in the same sphere, right? You can't say you love him and not obey. You can't say you love and trust him 
but then have all these doubts. Do you follow? To whatever degree you're doubting, you shall know them by the fruit, that whole thing. To whatever degree you're doubting, what suspect, what should be suspect in your soul is your trust in him. And that may have to sort of, you know, uh, thread all the way up through different authorities in your life that have been delegated to you, even. Whatever that case may be, if God's hand in it is in that thing in your life, you have to trust him. You have to say, this is the very best he's got for me. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, in other words, if you obey me, if you obey me, you see the two ifs? If you obey me, you'll abide in my love. And then he says, which awful, it's awesome because the qualifier is right there too. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. We have, like, we have a perfect prototype. That came out in women's Bible study uh, the other night. That we have a perfect prototype in Jesus Christ. We can learn so much. He had incredible love, love we can't even fathom, and perfect obedience. And he had perfect obedience and incredible love. They're the same in that sphere. They're intrinsic to each other. It's no different for us. It's literally no different for us. Jesus Christ said, follow me. In other words, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Follow me. Keep my commandments, in other words. And some who heard him actually did, as we've learned. However, many disciples stopped following excuse me, the most trustworthy human being to ever walk the earth. It's unbelievable, but it's true. You have the most loving, most trustworthy human being to ever grace the earth. And people went, no, nah, nope. <coughs> Obviously, they didn't trust him, did they? They didn't trust what he was saying. Many disciples stopped following the most trustworthy human being to ever walk the earth. Conclusion? People, listen up. This is tough. People don't want trustworthy friends. That's the conclusion. People don't want trustworthy friends. Why? Because trustworthy friends always give people the truth. People don't want trustworthy friends. Is this not the queerest truth of all? Is it not? It's the strangest thing. Wouldn't, wouldn't you, I mean, at face value, wouldn't you say, oh, I, told, I, I want someone who's not going to lie to me, <laughs> who's always going to tell me the truth, who tells me where I stand, who, you know, who says this, boom, boom, boom. I, that's who I want in my life. All right, if you had that person or a complete pathological liar, which one are you going to choose, right? Okay, you just don't want them to be too truthful. Because if they're too truthful, all of a sudden it starts stinging. All of a sudden you get that defensive posture where you know everything and now they're wrong on this, this, and this, but they're right on that. Do you want someone trustworthy or don't you? So think about that for a moment, especially in light of the series title, which is The Lord is Our Confidence. People would rather have friends, quote-unquote, that lie to them. Let that sink in. People would rather have friends that lie to them. And we find ourselves in both situations, don't we? We are the one befriended by others, sometimes. And we are the one befriending others. Sometimes we're receiving, so to speak, and sometimes we're uh, approaching. So, do we seek friends that lie to us? And have our friends sought us because we've lied to them? I mean, what, is this, what do these relationships look like? Do we want somebody that lies to us? And do we want somebody to be our friend that wants us to lie to them? I mean, what the, what the hell does that relationship even look like? That's, pretty, that's a pretty poor start for a relationship, isn't it? These are fundamentally the root causes of good and bad relationships. If there's no reason for trust to exist between friends... What is there? Can we even call that a, quote, friendly relationship? 
I mean, Satan's the father of lies, and he's also filled with hatred. So how can you, how can you possibly say someone who doesn't love you but rather hates you because they're lying to you, how can you say that's a friend? That's actually the exact opposite of a friend. For you married people, learn quickly, especially if you're young. Stop lying to each other. Don't lie anymore. Even the little white lies, they're not worth it. I'm not talking about, do I look fat in these jeans? Okay. Maybe that one slides. Because <laughs> you know, you gotta, I'm just saying. <laughs> you, technically speaking, that's not even good, to be honest. Because someday you're going to tell them the truth, and I'm like, oh! Sorry, filter was off. Just tell them the truth, right? What kind of relationship is it if there's, if there's no trust there? Again, there's no reason for trust to exist between friends. What is there? Can we even call that a friendly relationship? Or is it just two morons consensually using and abusing each other? Or is it two people exhausting the other person's resources? Or is it two selfish jackasses living the only way they know how? I don't know. You pick. What kind of relationship is that exactly? Honestly, what kind of relationship is it? If there's no trust, what is left? If that's the pattern of our relationship with others, how much confidence are we going to have habitually for any of our friends? In other words, if that's the pattern that we fall into. I kind of like this hybrid version, truth and lies. I don't want anybody that tells me the truth. I want somebody that lies to me, you know, because you know, whatever, I'm self-absorbed and self-centered and egocentric, and God forbid my you know, image of myself is, is smashed by truth. So I'm going to surround myself with liars. Well, lying is hatred. So says Holy Scripture. Lying is the exact opposite of loving. I don't know why you'd want to surround some, yourself with people who don't like you. Enough to tell you the truth. Paul said in Galatians 4.16, So I have become your enemy by telling you the truth? That was queer to him. Do you know what I'm getting at? Like, queer is the right word. It really is. It's, it's, it's off. It's like, wait a minute, wait, what? I'm trying to be the best friend I can possibly be, and you tell me I'm your enemy now? Because I'm loving you? Because the, 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 the purest expression of love is truth? I mean, that's what you're telling me? On Tuesday, the Spirit had us examine a perfect example from our perfect friend. Go to John 6.26. John 6.26 Notwithstanding the wake of lying, I, I honestly believe, I've met people like this. I'm not saying I've never lied, so don't be judging me. But honestly, pathological liars have to be among the most miserable people I've ever known. Honestly, they're just miserable. It's like this because there's no truth in them. And if truth is tied to love, then what does that say? If all they're filled with is lies... What are they left with? Hatred. Self-loathing, loathing for others. That's what a pathological liar exists in. That's the sphere that they live in. Because Jesus Christ is the fullness of grace and truth. Satan is the father of lies. Love versus hate. Which sphere are you in? If you're a pathological liar, which one do you think you're in? Who are you with? And where's all the love in your life if you have to exist in lies? Seriously. John 6, 26, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Now, <laughs> people, you know, you know that there was people in that crowd that were like, See, we're following you. He said, Follow you, here we are. We're following. He's like, That's only because I fed you. You're only here because I fed you. Hmm. 
Jesus was being totally blunt, calling them out right on the spot. Good. What better friend could one ask for? He didn't say, run away from me. He just said, can we be honest? Okay, you're embarrassed. I'm not asking you to leave my presence. I get it, you're embarrassed, but that's what truth does. Whose fault is that? Yours or mine? Have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? Can we get beyond this? That's the beauty of a real relationship. Hey, kind of being a jackass right now. Ooh, I am. I'm sorry. Can we move on this? Absolutely, I love you. Let's go. See how simple that was? Nope. Not us. We tell another lie. I'm not. What about this? Oh, here comes another lie. Boom. Then there's this huge web of lies. And guess who's miserable? You are. Trying to keep up with all your ridiculousness and your lies. I love that Jesus was uh, totally blunt. Look at verse 27. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, or on him the Father, God, has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent up here on the board. Jesus was just being a trustworthy friend. Perfect prototype up here on the board. Not only are they rare, trustworthy friends, not only are they rare, they aren't in very high demand. <laughs> Consider that Jesus was the most trustworthy person of all, and the majority rejected him, and then they murdered him. Well, trustworthy friends are rare. Most people will lie to you, to your face, and most people want you to lie to them, to their face. And you have this weird economy built on lies, which really, since it's based on lies, is in which sphere? Hatred. Love's over here. Lies and hatred are over here. Hey, let's set ourselves up for ultimately hating each other, which is why very few people have long-term friendships. The longest-term friendships are the ones where nobody really gets off on lying to each other. Can we just be honest? But that's the economy in this world. That's the economy, because everybody's ego is so fragile nowadays, right? That's how we're raising our children. We tell them they all get a trophy. No. Ask Joey about soccer. Look, he's like, hard. It was hard for me. Joey, you're not good. But I got a trophy. Yeah, I know, but you're not good. Good at one. He's good at skateboarding. Good at others. He's a really smart guy. Whatever. Dashingly handsome, right, Andrew? Andrew's like, yeah, he's right. Just was good at soccer. I'm not gonna lie to him. If I did, then I got a kid who's grown up who thinks, you know, he's the next Pele. Somebody's got to break it to him. Right? That's not, you see what that stirs? Ultimately, it stirs resentment and hatred because expectations are dashed in that person. And that's a tragedy. Trustworthy friends, they're, not only are they rare, they aren't in very high demand. Consider that Jesus was the most trustworthy person of all, and the majority rejected him, and then they killed him. This is a picture of man's response to truth. Give someone the truth, and mm, very often they resent you for it. This week's blog is titled, Two Ways of Approaching the Truth. It deals with this subtle topic up here on the board and has everything to do with grace. Always has everything to do with grace. Always, always, always. Some, somebody, somewhere along the line, someone is perverting grace. Because of man's arrogance, God's grace is, quote, hard for man to receive. So he perverts it to suit his own sensibilities. This came out on Tuesday as well. Because of man's arrogance, God's grace is hard for man to receive. So he perverts it to suit his own sensibilities. There's all kinds of grace. It's a gracious act for God to discipline you. I don't like that. It's a gracious thing for him to tell you that a lot of people are going to hell. I don't like that. I want everybody to go to heaven, so I'm going to pervert grace and say eventually everybody goes to heaven. I'm not going to give anybody the full gospel 
because it's offensive for me to say, hey, you're a sinner, you need to repent. I just want to lie to them and tell them, hey, just see what's on this coin? Believe what's on there, John 3.16. You good? You good? All right, let's go have some beer. Welcome to heaven, my friend. You just lied your pants off to this person. There's no love in that. That's self-love because it was easier on you to do that thing. That's selfish love. That's not selfless love. Jesus called people out over food. I know, I know why you're following me. <laughs> right? Let's get more practical now, up here on the board. Fear or faith? What is our base of operations? Which dominates us, fear or faith? Does sharing the truth scare us or excite us? That's a good question. Does sharing the truth scare us or excite us? Are we selfish or selfless? Selfless, meaning less of self. Seriously. What is our base of operations? Which dominates us, fear or faith? Does sharing the truth scare us or excite us? Are we selfish or selfless? And of course, selfless means less of self. Less full of self. Less loving of self, even. Because the Bible says the greater friend loves someone more. Up here on the board. On this idea of selflessness, less of self. The predominant feature of selflessness is faith. The motivation is love. Our hope is the truth changes others. And that's 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Abide in these three, but the greatest is love. Faith, hope, and love. You see that? The predominant feature of selflessness is faith. I don't have to look after myself. God's got my back. I have faith that God's going to work out something good because I'm obedient to Him and I'm abiding in the sphere of love and obedience. If you keep my commands, you abide my love. That whole thing. The motivation of love is love, of course. And our hope is the truth changes others. That's our great hope. And our hope is steadfast. Why? Because God is able. Amen? God is able. Reminds me of when they say, well, then who can be saved? With man, it's not possible. But with God, all things are possible. There's our hope. So even our hope is like right there, isn't it? Right there, ratcheted into that same sphere of love, obedience, faith, etc. Another awesome question that came out on Tuesday. Are we here to win friends or souls? Are we here to win friends or souls? Go to Galatians 1.10. It's a good question, right? It's a good question. You're here to win friends or souls? Are you excited about the truth? Are you excited about sharing the truth, or does it scare you? Does it scare you because you got, excuse me, you're going to lose friends. Did that come out, like, really loud? Oops. I never said I was coordinated. Galatians 1.10. Are we here to win friends or souls? Galatians 1.10. For, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Another one of those questions from Paul. Seriously, what's, what, are you, what are you guys suggesting here? Am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant, a slave of Christ. Hmm. Are we here to win friends or, or souls? What was Paul after? Paul, Paul said, I believe it was still in Galatians, uh, I just want to know him and Christ and Christ crucified. That's all I want to know. That's all I want to know. Pretty much all I want to know nowadays. Really, isn't that all that matters? Isn't that all that really matters in this life? People come at you. Look at my grandchildren. This one's a doctor. This one's a lawyer. This one's a whatever. This one's a this one has 28 kids. This one has four cats. They're all amazing people. Are they believers? What? Scratching record. What? Why'd you put a kibosh on my like bragamony here? What do you mean? Because that's the only thing that matters. Your doctor's not going to be able to heal himself out of hell. The lawyer's not going to be able to argue his way out of hell. Let's talk salt here. I'll get to that after. 
That, that's all cool. I'll talk to you about that stuff. But what I really want to know is, are they saved? That's all I really want to know. That's all that Paul ever wanted to know. I just want to know. He would walk in a room and say, I just want to know, I just want to know Christ and him crucified. That's it. I just want to know, that, is everybody here good with Christ? Okay, now we can continue our conversation. Because otherwise, frankly, I'm not really that interested. And I'm not talking about for evangelistic purposes. I know what Paul said, I'll become all things all men so I might save some. I get it. I get it. But in his heart of hearts, so to speak, that's all he really wanted to know. Because that's all that really matters. I don't really care about what your son did for 30 years of his life as a doctor. That's great if he was saved and he did it as unto the Lord. That's fantastic. Bring glory to God. Amen. Right? But other than that, what do I, I mean, for real? What, what, what the hell is that going to do with anything? This guy's going to rot in hell, and you're trying to tell me he's a swell guy. I'm telling you, this guy's going to rot in hell. We've got a big problem there, Mildred. Right? <laughs> we got a, we got a serious condition going on with your, with your fold-out family. Right? <laughs> Paul asks rhetorically the question we all need to be asking ourselves daily. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? In other words, am I selfish or selfless? That's really what he was asking. Am I selfish or selfless? That's the distinction between seeking the favor of men versus the favor of God. The selfless person seeks to win souls, not friends. You may make friends. Friends come and go. But like I just said earlier, I mean, who the hell wants the friends of today's brand anyways? You can't trust anybody. If all they do is lie to you and they just want you to lie to them, that's not really a friend. That's just a recipe for disaster. Hardship, pain, uh, heartache, uh, misery, you name it. Those aren't your friends. That's why you stay away from the world. What, what business has Christ with Belial? You don't befriend the world for that very reason. Because all they do is lie to you. They're not abiding in truth. They don't have any truth. So what are they left with? Satanic stuff, lies, which literally is the, the wrapper around misery. That's why when you drift away from godly friends to ungodly friends, you get miserable. The sin level goes up, for it's like Chinese food, right? Your level of enjoyment goes up for a moment, but then you crash. Because it's all a lie. It's all fool's gold. A selfless person seeks to win souls, not friends. This takes us back to a pair of questions on the table from the start of the message up here on the board. Truth or lies? Do we seek friends that lie to us? Have our friends sought us because we've lied to them? Do we seek friends that lie to us? Have our friends sought us because we've lied to them? Again, Galatians 1.10, For I am, am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? God demands that a good friend speaks the truth always. Doesn't mean we're always going to do it, but you know the point. God demands that a good friend speaks the truth always, even if he risks being made an enemy, maybe for a day, sometimes forever, who knows. But God demands the truth. Satan whispers in our ear, it's okay to lie, to smooth things over, to remain politically correct. That is a lie. That is an absolute lie. The human flesh devours such lies with abandon. Devours it. Why? Because every little, you know, let's call them white lies, whatever you want to call them, from zero to big, whatever, every little lie makes your life, your selfish existence, easier that day. Does it not? Of course it does, because now you don't have to tell somebody the truth. There's no confrontation. There's no conflict. I don't have to actually, you know, start a little, you know, mm. there's no friction. I'm just going to go along with the world. We might call that, like Sunday and Tuesday's message called it out, passive lying. The human flesh devours such lies with abandon. So let's back up, look at the big picture perspective. The God of this world has devised an entire economy. This is what he's trying to say to you. He's devised an entire economy around lies. There is no confidence in liars. Right? There's, there, where's, all the, where's trustworthiness? If you're confused about, okay, what's today going to look like with this person? They're going to tell me, what, okay, 
It seems like their reality changes by day. I have no trust in this person because they don't abide in the truth. And then over here we have love and truth. And God is not a God of confusion. He's the God of truth, right? Jesus Christ, the fullness of grace and truth. Boom. Steadfastness, immutability of the word of God, etc., etc. Love, all this garbage. There's an entire economy around lying. Go to John 8.44. John 8.44. The God of this world has devised an entire economy around lies. An entire economy around it. John 8.44. Think of that sphere that I've been sort of drawing over here. John 8.44. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Do you see how ejected he is from the sphere of God? If Jesus Christ is the very fullness of grace and truth, that means he's got the entire market cornered. That's it. There is no truth. There's none of that in Satan. You understand? There's none of that in Satan. So, does not stand for the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. <clears throat> Compare that passage with the one up here on the board. 2 Corinthians 11, 14 to 15. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. So, he not only just, he doesn't just lie. He proactively says, I'm telling you the truth. Just like a really crappy friend does. No, really, I'm telling you the truth. And they're lying through their teeth. No, I'm doing this for your own good. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this for your good. Because I love you, I'm telling you this truth. And it's actually a lie. It's how we manipulate people. Is it not? Some of you are like, I've never manipulated. Oh, please. <laughs> Leo's choking. <laughs> right? Who says we can't? I mean, Peter got called Satan, okay? So who says we can't act like Satan? Of course we do. Some of you just before you got to church. Some of you right now. I don't know what you're thinking. I don't want to know. Probably right now. And you're going like this. <laughs> See, you're disguising yourself. See? Oh, no, never. Oh, no. That's satanic. And when you play that game, when you sit there, and let's run with that for a moment. Say, that's you. You're sitting there, ah, ha, ha, and something awful in your brain, right? You're breeding misery. Because there's no love there in that thing. You're a facade. You're a front. You're a phony. You're a fake. And what did Jesus say? Let love be without hypocrisy. You want to eject yourself from the beauty of love? Be a hypocrite. Take integrity and crumple it up like a piece of paper and throw it over your shoulder. See, I'd much rather be a hypocrite. I'd rather live a lie. I'd rather present an avatar. I'd rather try to be someone I'm not. I'd rather try to convince everybody that I'm something I'm not, et cetera, et cetera. That is the miserable person. That's the pathological liar. That's the one who has to live in lies. I've seen it way too many times in my life. It breaks my heart. There's nothing you can say to that person. Only God can dig a lot of these people out of that pit. All right, back to our instigating point, though, up here on the board. Truth or lies. Do we seek friends that lie to us? Have our friends sought us because we've lied to them? So the question is, why has Satan's economy been so darn successful? Why? Well, you say, man, that just sounds like crap. It is. Why? Then why is that indicative of the world we live in and not this? Doesn't everybody just want to enjoy the fruit of love? 
They, I mean, they say they do. Mm. They say they do. See, the Spirit already gave us this answer up here on the board. People would rather have friends that lie to them. Quote, unquote, friends. It's true. People would rather have friends, quote, unquote, that lie to them. There are some of you listening to my voice right now that avoid me personally and folks like me. I'm not saying I'm the most stand-up guy. I'm, I'm just saying, right? Chances are you're going to talk to me at this stage. I'm 50, kind of ornery. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you the truth, all right? But some of you listen to my voice, avoid me. And folks like me, like the plague, because you know I refuse to lie to you. I, I love you too much. I won't lie to you. I'll really try hard not to lie to you. Sometimes I'm weak and I let it go and I'm tired and I don't, I don't want the conflict. I don't want the things. So I just kind of let it go and I'm sorry. But chances are I'm going to tell you the truth. And because of that and people like me, you don't, you don't go near those people very often. You kind of avoid them. And you definitely, definitely, definitely don't ask for their advice because they'll tell you the truth. And you're, trying, you're too busy trying to live a lie. Some of you have friends like that in your own life. People who avoid you because you stand for truth. What's the problem? The point of the board. People would rather have friends that lie to them. It's that simple. But here's the thing. We can't lie to others and claim to be selfless. We can't lie to others and claim to be selfless. We can't lie to others and claim to be selfless. You are doing them no favors by lying to them. You're supposed to love them, even your enemies. You're supposed to love people, not lie to them. Lying to them causes them pain. Lying causes you pain. Lying causes, causes everybody pain because you've ejected the whole relationship out of truth. That's selfishness. That's not selflessness. Selflessness says, if I become your enemy for telling you the truth, so be it. But the Lord says, I've got to tell you the truth. Here's the truth, my friend. You don't have to, obviously, tact comes in. You don't have to beat people over the head with truth, beat them down with it, um, etc. But tell them the truth. Don't compromise it. I mean, you're almost better off saying, I'd rather not express it right now because it seems like you're going to bite my head off. Let's come back to this some other day. How about we do that? Sounds like a pretty good strategy. I don't know. But you can't lie and claim to be selfless. The question from Tuesday is, again, are we here to win friends or souls? Go to Proverbs 11.30. Proverbs 11, verse 30. <clears throat> Proverbs 11, verse 30. At the end of the day, it really does just boil down to, I mean, is someone saved or not? We can talk after that all we want, but are you saved? Proverbs 11.30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. He who is wise wins souls. The underlying principle is from our previous uh, messages up here on the board. Love takes risks. Is it always easy to win souls? No. But is it more loving to give someone a truth or a lie? Especially when it comes to the gospel. Oh, you're all, you're, you're good. What you're really saying is, I don't really want to tell you the whole gospel because it's going to ruin our Thanksgiving dinner. I don't really want to tell you that that gospel you have is watered down and I'm fearing for your salvation. I don't want to tell you that because you're older than me. Or you've been at this twice as long as me. And somehow you haven't arrived at the truth yet. I don't want to fracture our quote-unquote friendship so I'm going to lie to you. Well, that's not being a very good friend. Love takes risks. A good friend takes the risk of offending someone they love for their friend's sake. 
quote, so I've become your enemy by telling you the truth. We just saw that. I will most gladly spend or be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? So be it. 2 Corinthians 12, 15. One of the key phrases from the Spirit this past week uh, in the messages and the blogs has been the truth always changes you. The truth always changes you. It's unavoidable. When you hear the truth, you're stuck with it. That's it. This is why a lot of people don't want to hear the truth. They want to fabricate, and as the Romans 1 says, speculate or even, that, remember that Greek word for speculate means invent. They want to invent their own gods. Gods that don't send anybody to hell. Gods that, whose grace is, a goodie, is like a cookie jar. God that uh, the gospel is watered down and doesn't say anything about you know, uh, coming to grips with your own depravity. You know, that's the God I want, so that's the one I'm going to invent. And I won't open up my Bible ever, other than to read the story of Noah, the story of the garden, and my other favorite stories, but that's it. Because I don't actually want the truth, because the truth is going to affect me, and then I'm going to, there's going to be this huge ripple effect. I'm going to have to change my mind. I'm going to have to come to terms, come to grips, etc., etc. But that's what the truth does. It's designed to do that. It's actually designed to do that. Always changes us. The issue is that the truth may, as we've learned this past week, confound you the first time you hear it. Case in point, and some of you can certainly relate to this, especially in this area. I have, a rel- I have, I have more than one relative. I have a, a lot of relatives that are Catholic. A lot of relatives that are Catholic. I know a lot of people that are Catholic around here. This particular person, not the only one, but the one I'm thinking of, believes that everyone is born good and that Satan tricks them into sinning, which is when they become, you know, bad for a time. So everybody was born good, and then they're just tricked by Satan into sinning. So they go, when that happens, they go to confession, get uh, cleaned by a priest who, quote, absolves them of their sins, etc., this whole rigmarole, and this person claims that they are a Christian. Oh, yeah, that's not in the Bible. That's the last conversation I had with this particular person. I said, then you don't believe in the Holy Bible. And they didn't respond. This person, though, claims to be a Christian, which means they invented, or they believe the inventions of Catholicism. Same thing. Inventions. They claim to be a Christian. I have told them the truth on more than one occasion, and they outright reject it. I have given them chapter and verse on the topic of man's depravity, and they brush it off, perplexed by what the Bible clearly states. And that was years ago, and they still haven't oriented to the word of truth, choosing instead to remain in a lie. Even so, here's what I know to be true. The truth always changes you. Always. I believe that. Not on a hunch, but rather on Holy Scripture. I know that I did a good thing by giving them chapter and verse because that gives them substance. That's going to be something. Who knows? Maybe they're the thief on the cross. Maybe right before they die, they're saved because of that Scripture that was given to them in, in the face of you know conflict that I loved them enough in that moment to confront them. That I didn't care about my relationship with them, even though they were family. That I cared more about their salvation. So I believe all that on Holy Scripture, that the truth changes you. I didn't say it always changes a person for the better, though. Only that it forces a real decision to be made by the hearer. It just it's a forcing function. It forces something. It's, it, it's stuck. It has to be dealt with. That's what's beautiful about the word of truth. Up here on the board, the word of truth. Truth disallows passivity. No passive learning. No, you, know, you can't take Switzerland route. Truth disallows passivity. A decision must be made, whether agreeable or disagreeable. A person never walks away unaffected or unchanged somehow. A decision about the truth is always manifested. Always. 
always. They may be sticking with a previous decision. I'm pretty much focusing on the first time they hear a truth, let's say. But now they have to deal with the fact that the Word of God says this. Maybe they didn't hear it before. Some of you are in that boat. Some of you were living in a certain kind of sin. You kind of knew that, you know, God was against it. You kind of knew, but it wasn't, you weren't really convicted because you had never seen the Scripture. And then once you read the Scripture, you said, oh, crap. That's it. I'm either going to live knowingly in sin or I'm going to abide. I'm either going to obey in the sphere of love. If you keep my commands, you will abide. I'm either going to do that thing and benefit and be blessed for it, or I'm going to take the other route. But you see, the truth cleaves it, doesn't it? It says, you're one way or the other here. What do you want to do? Here's the truth. Which, what do you want to do with it? You can't be passive. You can't say, ah, la, la, no, no. Nope, too bad. You heard it. A decision must be made whether agreeable or disagreeable. A person never walks away unaffected or unchanged somehow. A decision about the truth is always manifested. I've got three minutes. Yeah, let's go quickly. We're just going to review something so I don't have to do it on Sunday. Um, 2 Peter 3.16, quickly. 2 Peter 3.16. There's going to be times in your life where something doesn't make sense. I know I've taught uh, several series that were difficult for people to swallow, and it took them a long time, a long time to swallow, especially when I was dealing with the gospel reload uh, like four years ago. Uh, some stuff was hard for people to swallow. Um, 2 Peter 3.16, As also in all Paul's letters, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You want to see some, you want to see some amateur hacks, and I'm not throwing stones or, or calling names. You want to see some crazy hacking up the Bible? Go on Facebook. No, I'm serious. Go on Facebook and watch the battles that go on in, on Christian group pages. It's on, I say, where did you even get that from? And then the next person's worse. And then they start, it's like watching two, I don't even know how to explain it. They're way over there. Like the truth's here, and nobody's actually moving towards the truth. They just start like, you know, like two kids in a fist fight. They just start rolling away from it. Away from the truth. They just keep, this, it's degrades. It just degrades. It's like human nature to just degrade to their own destruction up here on the board. A person who rejects a challenge that is designed to stimulate spiritual growth is the person who seals their own fate. This person lives a distorted reality unstable in all their ways. Tammy didn't like it, apparently. Go to James 1, verse 5. She's throwing stuff. She's unstable. James 1, verse 5. Hey, nobody wants to laugh at you. How can they laugh? They laugh at me. She turns, she's like... James 1.5, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And I'll end kind of where we ended on Sunday. James was essentially saying that if you want to be delivered, you must seek the truth. This truth is precisely the word. It's, it's, it's the wellspring. It's up here on the board. I'll, I'll just leave you with this. If, if this is the wellspring, then why is that mantra? Why does it keep coming from the pulpit? Read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. Because let's figure, I could, I could teach forever and I'd never get through this whole thing. So you have to read your own Bible. You have to be comfortable reading your old Bible. But here's, it comes with a catch. Do you want to know the truth or not? Because when you open up your Bible and start reading, you get assaulted with the truth, and that's a very good thing. You get hit front and center with the truth. Proverbs 4, 7, the beginning of wisdom, acquire wisdom, and with all you're acquiring, get understanding. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this incredible privilege to 
learn truth, the word of truth, Father, for it sets us free. We just ask for your blessings as we take it back to our homes. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.